Welcome to Epiphany Fellowships Podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Mason, lead pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Our desire is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in every week to check out new messages. God bless you and take care. Well, let's stand to our feet. Let's get it. We're back in Ruth, Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. While you um, turn in there, it was fun as we were off. My children love this place so much. They didn't want to go anywhere else but Epiphany Fellowship. So they're all smiles today um, because they're at their local church, which felt good for them to want to be at their local church. Amen, amen, amen. Uh, Ruth, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. You know how we do. Go. Amen. 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 For our next installment uh, through our series through the book of Ruth, I'd like to call uh, this sermon today a supernatural response to tragedy. A supernatural response to tragedy. Let's go before the Lord, mighty one, mighty God in whom we serve, Lord God. We draw near to you. We uh, push ourselves to 
draw near to you because you had a promise. You said if we draw near to you, you would draw near to us. And so one of the ways that we draw near to you is getting in your word together and gathering and getting with one another, but with you at the center to see you so clearly. And so, God, I'm praying uh, for those who have experienced something, are or will, will you train, prepare, and heal for them to be able to see you and know that you're always up to something. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen, amen, amen. A supernatural response to tragedy. Um, I don't care who you are, how well you think you're put together, how well you think your life is put together, what tax bracket you're in, what side of the railroad tracks you grew up on, um, there is no way to file exemption to tragedy. <laughs> you, you can't file exemption to something difficult happening to you. As a matter of fact, um, most of us don't recognize it or not, but God uh, allows and sometimes schedules it for our lives. I'm by myself. It's okay. Um, it, it, it's, it's interestingly enough that tragedy is a testing item. And what tragedy does and what difficulty does in your life and in my life is it begs us to ask the right questions. See, usually when tragedy happens, your questions tell you where your maturity is. Or not just your maturity, but how you're doing at that particular moment. I mean, when you look at even John the Baptist, when John the Baptist got put in jail, somehow he was confused by his experience. And he, his disciples uh, came during visiting hours and sat down at the visitor's table, or they picked up the phone on one side, he picked up the phone on the other side. Y'all know how it works sometimes. Just walk with me. And John says, yo, man, I don't even know why I'm in here. And, and his disciples was like, it's all good, man. Hang in there. Hang in there. Hang in there, man. You, God got you. God got you. He said, well, man, go to my cousin, Jesus. Ask him a question for me. Ask him, is he the one that's actually supposed to be the Messiah, or should we look for someone else? In other words... The guy who was supposed to, his life was prophesied as the one who would come and prepare the way for the Lord Jesus Christ in Malachi chapter 3. But what's interestingly enough, the tragedy of him put, being put in prison was a place where he asked some difficult questions because of where he was. And what's interesting is it isn't always bad to have your heart tested. Having your heart tested is a good thing. Having you peer into what are some of the things that you're working through is a good thing because usually when you work through those good questions, those good questions help you to get to truth. If you become apathetic, one of the things you don't want to do is when you go through something challenging is to become spiritually apathetic. Because when you become spiritually apathetic, you're not looking for God to do anything and God is forced to leave you in that place longer until you learn your lesson. 
And so it's interesting here. I mean, so many of us have been through probably some things. And some of y'all probably sitting under here. I don't even know what in the world you're talking about because I, I have never been through anything really riveting and difficult. Matter of fact, my life has been bubbly. My life has been peachy. I've had a snag and I've had a car accident here or there. But there hasn't um, been anything that's happened in my life that has stopped me in my tracks. And I you know what? I got, a, I got a telegram for you, family. I got an email for you, fam. I got a text message for you. Keep on living. If you just live a few more minutes, something is going to happen. Now, I know you don't like this type of prophetic utterance because it's not the one you're used to. You like the one where you're coming into a new season. You're gonna, and I, I, I give you that every now and then. If the Lord tell me to tell you that, you're going to get a breakthrough. But there are, there are already biblically written prophetic promises that aren't pathetic to help you to progress. And when you look at the reality of this, when you go through something, your questions help you know where you are, shows where God already knows you are, but gives you the opportunity to work through them. Saying so stuff like, is God good? <laughs> and how you respond and work through your tragedies show you what you believe about God. Well, we come to this text, and we're actually in Act 2. Somebody say Act 2. Um, um, the Bible, one of the things I love about the Bible, this for free. I'm going to give you something free today. Um, the, I love the fact that Bible is a literary masterpiece. And it's written in glorious ways to utilize good art. Oh, God, I like that. The Bible emphasizes and pushes doing art well. That was for free for my artists. I know y'all trying to figure out a biblical theology of art. You know, the, the Bible pushes doing good art. This is, this is masterful art in here because we had act one, now we're in act two. Act two, we're going to switch who we're focusing on. Act one pointed to Naomi. Now in act two, we're pointing and we're transitioning primarily to Ruth as the protagonist in this text. And as we begin to walk through this text, we're going to see a comparison of the Holy Spirit between Naomi's response to tragedy to Ruth's response to tragedy. And, and when you begin to see these two comparisons, um, you will begin to see the nature of how God works in our lives, even if his name isn't mentioned. Which brings me to my first point. If you're going to have a supernatural response to tragedy, number one, <laughs> you got to know this is a simple point. Hopefulness works. Hopefulness works. It just does. Look, look at the text. It says, now Naomi. Stop right there. This, this is a good place to parenthetically pause. Know why I like the text starting the next scene saying, now Naomi? Because of what it said or what she said just in the previous chapter. She was asking for her name to be changed. Tamara, which means bitter. And she was, she, in other words, uh, I don't know if you ever met somebody to change their name. You know, you know, somebody said, I don't want my slave name. I'm going to get my name. Do your thing. And you know, people call them by their old school name and they're like, that's not my name. You know what I'm saying? What I'm saying? Right. And they go at you. Well, Naomi changes her name and the Holy Spirit ignores her. Somebody gonna get that on the way home. <laughs> I, I, I like, I like the fact that the Holy Spirit don't pay our stupidity no mind. In other words, the Holy Spirit 
refuses to submit to substandard names that we want to give ourselves. In other words, Naomi wanted to transition from pleasant to bitter. Her name means pleasant. But she said, my life hasn't been that way. I don't even know why my mom and daddy named me that. And since they named me that, I'm changing my name to something totally different. Because what they said was going to happen in my life ain't happened in my life. So now, boom, now my life is finna to be bitter. Right? So she changes her name to bitter. And the Holy Ghost, having the person, as he's superintending the writing of this next session, he totally, he writes in her stupidity, but he writes it out because he thinks more of her than she thinks of herself. Have you ever been in your life where you let your circumstance so mark you that you begin to rename yourself and you begin to talk about yourself in substandard ways and think less of yourself? No matter how low you think of yourself, God is still, through the righteousness of Christ, trying to impute a righteous verbiage to talk about who you are above your circumstances. Don't you dare ever let what you go through rename your identity. Now, I'm, because when your identity in Christ is intact, what happens, this is beautiful, is that when it's intact, and, and, and this is a beautiful thing, you guys, uh, when it's that, you, you, you see the reality of the fact that no matter what I go through, um, uh, who God has imputed me with and who God has named me and the way in which I am supposed to walk is supposed to be above what I'm going through. And so in light of ignoring that beautiful thing, which I, I just love that the Holy Spirit totally ignores Naomi's request. You know, I don't know what you name yourself. Some of y'all may name yourself hopeless. You may not have said it, but you function in that way. If you function in a mindset, that is the identity that you're walking in. Maybe you're walking in worthlessness. That's because you view yourself that way, but God doesn't view you that way. Some of you are, are walking in an identity of loneliness. And, and, and God has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. How dare you call yourself something that I have never put in your sphere? You may feel lonely, family, but you're not lonely at all. Some of you say, my name is forgotten because nobody pays attention to me. I seem to be invisible. Let me tell you something, God, the way God went, God is saying, no, that's not the way I view you. And I am not going to take your hashtag avatar little name that you created for your page. I'm not, I'm not going to, that, that, that don't mean nothing. Some of us, though, we don't won't use low names. Some of us, our names are too high. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'll just be looking at some people's names. I'll be like, wow, you off the chain in the mug, you know, Messiah ministry in the you know, above all things. I'm like, okay, cool, cool. Praise God. The Bible said, don't think too highly of yourself. It says also don't think too low. Just get it just right. You got to get that thing just right. Anyway, I'm, I got to move. Anyway, I'm just saying. Look what the text says. We're still there. He says, now Naomi, now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. This, this is beautiful. The Holy Spirit is alley-ooping because he's pointing to what he's going to do in her. There's something called a virite marriage. I'll explain that later. But it's a beautiful thing that points beautifully to Christ's redemption in us and his commitment to us even in the midst of our tragedy. And we'll come back to that. But she had a relative. 
she had someone that she was related to, and he was a prominent man. I, I, I like I like how they start talking about my man Boaz. Now, um, before we get in here and get all romantic, this is not about romance. You know, if if the Lord was here, he probably would. Jesus would say, I know you heard it said, but I say to you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the story of Ruth and Boaz is not a story of romance, um, even though that does make us feel better. It says... He was, pro he was a prominent man of noble character. Somebody say noble character. And this is beautiful. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. That's Naomi's husband, the widow's husband. And his name was Boaz. It's interesting that the emphasis isn't on the meaning of Boaz's name, but his character. And, 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 and so what, what it points to, this idea uh, here, what it talks about noble character, is, is really a, a powerful sort of term that emphasizes character. It's Gabor Chayil, if you will, in the Hebrew, and, 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 and it means a man of stature. I, I, I like some of the exegetical and lexicographic emphasis up in this joint right here, right? A man of power. He's a man of importance, it says, a man of valuable character. Matter of fact, in other words, I like this because it's, it calls him, it, it, it points to him being a warrior dude. You know what I'm saying? Because they didn't have no police back then, so you had to create your own police force through your workers. You know what I mean, if you came and got raided, you had to have some dudes that were strapped and y'all had to be ready to go. You understand what I'm saying? And what was beautiful about what they're saying about him is he's not just a fighter, but he's a man that considers the things of the Lord. And what we're going to see is don't forget what verse 1 and 2 pointed us to is that we're during the time of the judges. It's rare during the time of, you read the book of Judges for yourself. <clears throat> there was not even a judge that was mentioned like this. So when you look at this reality here, that this person exists, um, it points to the fact that God raised him up. Let me tell you something. Oh, this is for free too. Nobody that's anything is self-made. Nope. Let me tell you something. Goodness doesn't come out of nowhere. Like God has to make that happen. So in your life personally, if somebody sees integrity in you, don't act like you spent enough time with God to have integrity. Help me today. You ain't, you ain't prayed yourself up enough to be a person of integrity. Because you know, as soon as you got finished praying, matter of fact, while you was praying, you was thinking some old dumb stuff while you was praying. So your prayer isn't worthy enough to make you what only God can make you. Now, I'm not saying he doesn't use those things, but don't ever get it in your mind that any good, practical, in character came from your self-nurturing. Help me today, God. So Boaz, being a man of character, wasn't like he was just this dude that became beastly on his own. No, God assigns character to people. God nurtures character in people. God nurtures the ability to be better that's initiated by his willing to work his good pleasure in a person, not initiated by a person wanting his good pleasure. If I'm being honest, there's some times in my life where I didn't want his good pleasure, but he pushed himself on me with his sovereign prerogative and said, buddy, you're going to do better than that. And so as he walks through, it's a prominent man of character from a Lemonex family, his name was Boaz. 
I like that. I like, I like this. As the text begins to point out and help us to get uh, some things out of this. Look what it says next. What it says next. It says, Ruth, the Moabitess, asked Naomi, will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain <clears throat> behind someone with whom I might find favor. I, I, I like this. I, I like this. She's asking for, for, for permission because she knew the, the, the laws in Israel. In Israel, when you were harvesting, you weren't supposed to harvest the edge of your lands based on Leviticus 19 and I think Deuteronomy 24. Um, and you weren't supposed to harvest those edges. Yeah, Deuteronomy 24, 19. You weren't supposed to harvest the edge of those lands. <clears throat> but you also, as, they, as the harvesters were harvesting, <clears throat> what was supposed to happen is, it's in that particular period of time as you were harvesting, some stuff would just fall. Like, I don't know if anybody here been to Lynn Villa Orchards. Anybody here been to Lynn Villa Orchards? Oh, come on, y'all. Y'all got to go this fall. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. They have all kinds of fruit, organic. They done made different types of apples. They done, you know, you know, sold them together and grafted them in and make a whole nother. It's beautiful stuff out there. Go for hay rides. It's a nice little time. Um, one of the things that I like, um, it's interesting, is I, I, I just like seeing, you know, sometimes you don't know what you get in the grocery store. <laughs> and so every now and then it's nice to just see something grow. <laughs> can, I, can I get an amen right there? And I mean, sometimes it's, it's nice to see something grow. And one of the things that they let you do when you go to Lynn Villa Orchards, they will let you pick up stuff yourself. And what you'll find is in the midst of the harvesting, there'll be apples, falling all over the place, already on the ground. Well, in Israel, if something falls to the ground in your harvest, you're not supposed to pick it up. You're supposed to let the poor, help me today, God, come in and get what they want. Okay, I got to pause right here just for one minute. The people of God were always supposed to be a community that never forgot about those who don't have anything. In other words, in other words the, the, the principle, God already, like, in, like people hate the law, you need to read it sometimes. It's great principles that we can Christologically read back into it for us today. But it's beautiful that, 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 that Ruth knew this as a foreigner. In other words, this is what things are like. It, like, like so somehow, I don't know whether she heard it or somewhere, or something, but, but, but there was this known fact that in Israel, you were supposed to be able to glean off the, off the ground and get stuff, right? Now, now, what's interesting about this whole thing, though, is, again, we're in the time of judges. So during this time in the judges, people of God were selfish in the mug. Like, I'm talking about selfish, so they was just breaking law, picking up stuff, and doing all those type of things. What I like about Ruth, though, is she does something powerful. She's experienced pretty much the same tragedies that Naomi has experienced. She's experienced the loss of her father-in-law. She's experienced the loss of her husband. And she's experienced not going back to her father's house, stay with me, but she goes into a foreign land attaching herself to a widow. 
<coughs> now back here, back then, attaching yourself to a widow wouldn't have been the wisest thing. <coughs> it would almost be like seeing a person in a particular life circumstance today and saying, I'm going to, and that's not necessarily the best societally, not character-wise or anything, or value and gender or anything. However, the way they viewed it back then, it would have been a dumb thing to do. <coughs> but Ruth attached herself to her. Now, that's not, the part, that's not just the part that blows my mind, because it's as if the Lord stacks the, the sort of uh, uh, character um, things that he's nurtured in Ruth so beautifully. Not only that, she wants to go glean and go out and glean there, but she's not just going to glean. What I like about this is she says, let me glean behind somebody. Now, you got to understand, that wasn't a part of the law, but that was just something that became cultural that they did. Stay with me. Now, what I love about that is she's literally saying, like, uh, can you allow me, Naomi? And she's asking permission, like, because she's going to have to use her name later and people know all that because she's a foreigner, all of that. Boom. So, so, so she goes in and she's like, can I, can I, can I, I, I want to go and I want to harvest behind some people. In other words, because there was so much brokenness in society, uh, usually the Jews would get the opportunity first, the foreigner second, and what she's paying for, she's, she's asking for the favor that goes beyond her perceived identity. Mm. I, I love this. She wants the favor that goes beyond her perceived identity so that she can grab what drops on the ground or, or, or grab right after. That means you have a person that's assigned to you where you following them through and as they drop, you get to scoop it up real quick. That means nobody else behind you or around you is able to come from that funnel. And this is a very, very hopeful thing, is that even in the midst of a place where she can be depressed, she's still trying to provide and help bring stuff in for her and Naomi in the midst of the frustration that she's experiencing here. But not only that, she's asking for favor. So she's saying, not only give me the opportunity to do this, but I also want to get favor. And when it talks about favor here, it's a different word for favor. Uh, it, it denotes... Here, in pleasing a presentation of somebody having, the, not, not just God just giving you favor in the sense of the situation of the person, but giving you character favor, okay? Now, when we talk about character favor here, we're talking about you not doing anything stupid to get in the way of the favor that God wants to give you. That's the sense of the word. In other words, you ever met somebody that just got a big mouth? You met somebody, God's trying to do something for them, but they always, they don't choose their battles. Everything is a battle. Okay? <clears throat> this word denotes you not making everything a battle, but you being in, in your soul having the character and the richness of character to be able to maneuver in such a way by the grace of God to receive and be prepared to not do anything to get in the way of the person that God is allowing for favor to be found in your sight. And so she, this, is, this is a beautiful, beautiful passage that she's asking, don't let my attitude get in the, get in the middle of my opportunity. So somebody need to hear that today. I'm praying that some of y'all's attitude, because see, tragedy can sometimes give you an attitude. Because when you think something happened to you that you didn't deserve, you act real entitled and frustrated. And so you wear your anger on your sleeve. And so everybody's done something to you. So you're ready to bite everybody. <laughs> oh, y'all, y'all, don't act like 
I'm talking in the, in, in the wind right now. It, it takes, it, let me tell you something. <laughs> it takes favor not to live in bitterness. It takes favor from God for your attitude not to get in the way of the thing. Because, you know, God can bless you with stuff, but you can mess it up. In, in other words, if God gives you an opportunity, but your character destroys it, you can't blame God for that. In other words, because if your, God provides the opportunity, but he also provides the opportunity for your character to not do nothing stupid, so you won't miss out on what God wants you to get. Now, now, now what I like about this, this section here is that as Ruth is going through and she wants to go through and do this, she wants to find favor with someone. Which brings me to my next point and last point. If you're going to, um, if you're going to be a person uh, that has supernatural things happen in the midst of tragedy, number two, for, well, first we saw um, uh, we have hopeful expectations, but number two, we trust God's guiding hand. Trust God's guiding hand. Please hear me here. Trust God's guiding hand. Um, it says, so Ruth left and entered the field. I love that. She does it anyway. She walks along to gather grain behind the harvesters. So she gets the opportunity to start gathering grain behind the harvesters. And the Bible says she happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. Now, in their culture, <coughs> all the fields existed outside of the cities. And with it existing outside of the cities, she had to walk from, her, from where they were staying to outside of the city. Now, as she, as she went out, there would have been a lot of farmland. It would have been like going into Lancaster. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if y'all ever been to, some of y'all ain't been to Lancaster County. You know, some of y'all just been to the corner store. But you got to, every now and then, <coughs> every now and then, you, every now and then, I'm going to just be honest with you. Sometimes I got to get out of the city. Okay, I'm by myself. Anyway, I'll get some fresh air, you know, even though it's, it's animal ministry in the atmosphere out there, just everywhere. Animal ministry. It's like an open zoo sometimes. <laughs> Catch a bad tailwind. But, <laughs> but I like it out there. She goes outside the city. It's open fields. And so she's looking where to go. <laughs> it's crazy. So she said, yo, I'm going I'm to I'm go to this one. Now, what's crazy about that is that the text says she happened to go to not just the field, but the portion, because Boaz didn't own the old whole field, he owned a portion of the field. <clears throat> so in order for her, this to happen, even in the midst of her random movement, God's hand has to be on her. Yeah. Oh, y'all missing the, y'all miss your amen moment. See, let me, let me tell you something, let me, let me tell you something, you missed your shout moment. In other words, even when you think you're just randomly going about your life, 
God is ordering your steps. I wish I had a witness in this place today. You ever, you ever just been randomly doing something and you happened upon something? I mean, you was like, it's, it's no way in the world that this could have happened this way. It's almost like seeing a long lost relative on the subway and you've been looking for them for 10 years, but you happen to get on the subway at the time in which the subway is going to pass and all of a sudden you get on the subway in the right car out of 12 cars, you get into the right car and be able to put your eye. In, in other words, when God sovereignly assigns something in your life to happen, it will happen. And let me explain something to you. Tragedy doesn't trump God's sovereignty. It doesn't. The Bible says that Ruth, I mean, how in the world do you happen to go to the field and to the plot of land that's owned by your relative? And it's beautiful here because, you know why I love it? Because Ruth is just using God's word to walk in his promises. <clears throat> the guiding principle was her following his word. How was she following his word? That God allows people to glean. When you're following God's word, <laughs> the ordering of your steps becomes so much easier. And let me explain something to you. When you follow God's word, you, let me, let me tell you something. You need to write this everywhere and get a tattoo. <laughs> Whenever you follow God's word, he always, all caps, does more than you expect. You missed your shouting moment. You don't, you don't know what he, listen, let me tell you something. He always does more than you expect when you do things God's way. I, I, I'm not going to preach failure today because sometimes we preach. Well, even if you don't. Now, let's, let's, let's talk sometimes about doing the right thing. Help me today. Can we get the even ifs? Sometimes let's just ask God for power to not be stupid. Sometimes. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 what, and what I like about this is she's following God's word. And God meets her in her expectations. What I like about this is she didn't let tragedy get in the way of her expecting stuff from God. Let me give you this. It's nothing wrong with expecting stuff from God. Let me say this again. It's nothing wrong with expecting stuff from God. Let me say it one more again for the person in the back that didn't hear it. There's nothing wrong with expecting stuff from God. Not just spiritual growth all the time. Help me today. In the conservative arena, it gets me, it gets me, makes me sick because the only thing God does is grow you spiritually. That's it. It's nothing wrong with expecting things out of God and expect him to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you ask or think. Listen, you don't have to put a seatbelt on your prayer life. God will put a seatbelt on the answer sometimes. <laughs> but... But you let him do that. You let, let God do that. And, and, and God like, and God's like thinks, he thinks just a little bit bigger than you, though. Just, you know, some of us think we're big thinkers. I got a big vision. I got a big dream. God's bigger than that. Help me today. And so she, she clings to the promises of God. And as she happens to go into the field, as she happens to go into the field, 
Matter of fact, she wasn't even, and the focus is on the fact that she didn't know. That's what the focus is on. Look at what, ver look at what verse 4 says. It says, later, when Boaz arrived <coughs> in Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, I, I, I just love this. this. This almost seems a matter of fact. But it says, Yahweh be with you. And then he said, Yahweh bless you. Man, don't you wish you had a boss like that? Some of y'all, you know, some of y'all are bosses, so be like that. Amen. Some of y'all don't want to be bosses. Um, when you get there, be like that. Everybody a boss nowadays. Um, one of the things I like about this exchange is it shows the character of Boaz to give us more richness around his character to alley-oop us in the next section. But he's expecting God, God's presence on his business. I wish I could just give y'all a free nugget right there. Mm, 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 mm. In other words, when he's invoking, this is not a name you just say, Yahweh. He's, he's, he's going to his workers and invoking God's blessing on them as they do their work. Then they invoke a blessing in relationally that's so good because they have a good relationship with him back on him. Now that atmospheric, spiritual shifting of covenantal blessing goes back and forth, but it ricochets down to impacting those who glean. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. That was biblically fly. I just got to tell you, God got some stuff in here. God got some stuff in here. If, and it's beautiful. That means it impacts. If they get blessed, they get blessed. Let me say that one more again. If they get blessed, they get blessed. Whenever God gives you more, it's not all for you. It's not all for you. It's not all for you. See, see, see. And you got to understand, Boaz has also experienced tragedy. Oh, I didn't even see that till just now. How do we know? Because there was a famine in the land, chapter 1. So you see him now experiencing recovery. Isn't it beautiful that God will bring recovery after some of the worst things in your life has ever happened to you? I just saw that. Ain't that something? Boaz, that means that he, he didn't have stuff to glean or to give away. <coughs> but he didn't, oh, this is another one. Holy Ghost, thank you. <laughs> Be careful when you experience tragedy, God brings you on a come up and you hold on to everything he gives you. Because some of us, you'll be like, I can't wait till I get out of this. Because when I get out of this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going uh, to upgrade this, I'm, a, boom, I'm going to Louis Vuitton, Versace, blah, blah, blah. I'm going, boom, I'm going to Soho, boom. <laughs> God is like, nah. Boaz allowed for poor people to glean off of the core things. They didn't give him the last, they gave him the best. Uh, I got to move. All right. Verse 5. Verse 5. Boaz asked his servant, <laughs> who was in charge of the harvesters. Whose young woman is this? Now, before you start saying, uh-oh, Boaz trying to holler. I see you, big Bobo. I see you, dog. I see you. Yeah. 
I'm going to spoil your desires right now. They were in small towns. Everybody knew everybody. She was a foreigner. He wanted to know where she was from. He just wanted to know who was it. Wouldn't you want to know who's on your property? Some strange person just walking behind your workers? I mean, it wasn't, I mean Ruth wasn't bad looking, the Bible's going to say, but, we, we, but it ain't always. See, we always just come back, all right? So now, he asked who she is. And it's interesting what the servant focuses on. Look what the servant focuses on. The servant said, she is the, the young. That means she's known, this, he, he probably have heard of her already. Because it says, she is the Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. What does that first say? Loyal. Somebody say loyal. Verse 7. She asked, will you let me gather fallen grain? That means she didn't just walk on people's property entitled. The Bible say, <laughs> the Bible say y'all supposed to be, she ain't do that, right? She ain't do none of that. She said, will you let me gather just a pleasant, sweet voice? I can just hear it in the text. The Hebrew shows it. You're supposed to laugh right there. Anyway, it says, it says, among the bundles behind the harvesters, right? Look at what it says. She came and has been on her feet since early morning, except that she rested a little in the shelter. In other words, what they focus on is her character. Somebody say character. God doesn't just open up doors for you. He gives you the character that keeps you after you go through the door. Write that down right now. I'm just telling you right now, an open door without character leads to new tragedy. Because he talks about her character. And, and these characteristics display, she isn't merely, cult, isn't merely cultural, but also was supernaturally empowered by God, she was. She wasn't entitled. She worked harder. She worked hard even though she wasn't a worker. It's beautiful. <laughs> you can't, oh, man, I, it's so much. I got to move. It's so much you can say. Verse 8. It says, and Boaz said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, uh, don't go and gather grain in another field, and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. He basically treating her like one of his own because of God opening the door, developing his character, also bringing the famine to come to a close, and now they're getting a harvest based on chapter 1, verse 6, God visiting his people, and then also preparing Ruth's character to be able to walk through the door. It's the perfect storm of grace. It's the perfect storm of grace, right? Look at what it says in verse 9. And it, he says, see, see which field they are harvesting. He said, I got several of them, right? He said, follow them. He said, haven't I ordered you? In other words, he's, he's making sure that she understands that she has freedom. And the young men will not touch you. I like that. In other words, not only does he give her freedom, he gives her security. Dang. He hires her some bodyguards. Don't leave shorty alone, right? Because that's what they did back then. When you were alone and were a woman, they took advantage of you. They took stuff from you, took resources from you. So he made sure she was protected. He says, when you are thirsty, go and drink from the jaws of the young men. I love this. <coughs> she fell down, face down, 
bowed to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your sight? Verse 11, everything you have done, character. Listen, let tragedy build character in you. Let, let tragedy, it's worth it. It's worth, yes, it hurts. But I'm just letting you know, family of God, right now, that God uses the things that he develops in you through tragedy for something that he wants to push you into. And listen, Ruth isn't merely there gleaning for herself. She's gleaning for Naomi. But we're going to see later that she gets more than she bargained for. And what we see beautifully in this text, what we see beautifully in this text about her is that she ultimately reflects the Lord Jesus Christ. She reflects Jesus because on the cross, Jesus experienced the greatest tragedy in the universe. And Jesus ex experiencing the greatest tragedy in the universe, he didn't let his, now, he didn't let his tragedy get to him to the point where he forgot his purpose while he was on the cross. While he was on the cross, he still remembered scripture. And he quoted based on purpose. And this points to the fact that ultimately, Jesus is the one who never allowed his tragedy to impact his purpose while he was yet in the tragedy. And in doing that, he got up and was rewarded by God. She gets rewarded. Ultimately, Jesus gets rewarded. How does he reward him? By raising him up on the third day. Now, his tragedy, his process, and his resurrection wasn't just for him to get up from the grave, but was for us. And so we see Ruth, a female, a woman, acting as a pointer of redemption in Christ here in this text to show beautifully how you don't have to let what you go through break your life apart. You can embrace what you're going through in a way where you can wrestle, you can struggle, but you also have to say, God, I know you're up to something. Drop some nuggets in me to make value out of what I'm going through. I'm done. Father, thank you for your work. Thank you for your grace. God, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ that you would open our hearts and minds to live as a community of grace. Walk as a crew that walks in favor, God. That challenges are not our home. They're just a pit stop for what you want to nurture in our lives. Thank you, God, for your work in Jesus' mighty name. Let our men come. Let's prepare our hearts and minds. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that it was a blessing to you and it was aiding in your life to help you to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. If this message has been a blessing to you, we want you to consider partnering with us in ministry so that we can maximize what God has called us to do locally, nationally, and internationally. You can go to epiphanyfellowship.org, go under give, and consider donating. Thank you. Take care. See you next week.